The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. Hey everyone, welcome to the show, and what a great show. Oh, I'll tell you what, I've been so excited about this show, I'm so excited that I don't want to talk too much, that you can hear our guest today. Before I start, a special shout out to Yoshiko Dart, my friend and wife of the late Justin Dart Jr., and boy does that fit in when you talk about civil rights, because I can tell you, in D.C., and here I am in Pittsburgh, but no matter where I am, if you think of civil human rights leader, you would think of our guest today. That's who would come to mind, because few leaders in D.C. and nationally would really be remiss without saying, well, do you know this person? Because he is not a leader for one group, but for all groups. He includes us. He includes people with disabilities, people like me living with epilepsy, people like you. He includes us. He is the CEO of a premier organization, the Leadership Conference on Civil and Human Rights and the Leadership Conference Education Fund. We're so blessed to have him. I admire him so much, and I'm also very honored to call him my friend. Welcome to the show, Wade Henderson. Well, Joyce, thank you for that wonderful introduction, and thank you for inviting me on the show. Disability Matters is one of the most important vehicles in the country to talk about the impact of civil and human rights policies on persons with disabilities and, of course, the impact of the uh, community uh, on the broader debate on civil and human rights. So it's a real privilege to be here. Well, thank you. And I guess I'm sure most people listening to the show across the United States and later on throughout the world know this, but I'm sure where you have been very busy since hmm. we have the 50th anniversary of the Civil Rights Act. Mm-hmm. Well, absolutely, Joyce. This is, of course, the 50th anniversary of the Great Civil Rights Act of 1964. It's also the 50th anniversary of President Johnson's War on Poverty. And lest we forget, this is the 60th anniversary of the Supreme Court's decision in Brown versus the Board of Education, arguably the most important civil and human rights decision of the 20th century by the Supreme Court. And so this is a period of great historic significance. It's also a time, Joyce, not just to look back at um, the country from whence we've come, but also to look ahead at the future of civil and human rights. And so it's a special privilege for me to be here to talk about both of those approaches uh, with you this afternoon. Well, and you know, sometimes, Wade, executives, people I'm talking to, they'll be saying, well, don't you think, you know, we have this Hmm. civil rights issue pretty much under control, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. of course, I say, no, 
And let's start, by the way, with this horrendous act that just occurred, the shooting um, at those two Mm. Jewish community Mm. centers. Mm. And Yes, and my heart goes out to them. And by the way, that was someone affiliated with the Ku Klux Klan. Wow. So no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, first of all, Joyce, I'm glad you mentioned um, the victims of the Kansas City shooting. And as you mentioned, our hearts go out to them and their families. It's obviously a tragic loss. What we saw in that shooting was, of course, a classic hate crime. An individual who, uh, you know, saw himself as a neo-Nazi, someone, an avowed white supremacist, who, uh, because of his anger and because of his bigotry, uh, allowed himself to be overcome uh, and to, in fact, engage in hate crime violence directed uh, toward completely innocent individuals. There was, of course, a great irony here because uh, apparently the shooter. Uh, sought to kill uh, members of the Jewish uh, faith. And he went to a Jewish community center thinking that his victims would, by definition, be Jewish. It turns out that was not the case at all. Uh, The three victims of uh, this uh, horrendous shooting uh, were Christian, not Jewish. Uh, But it really doesn't matter because, uh, really, the intent of the crime uh, was to do harm to individuals based on their religious beliefs based on the fact that he simply disagreed with their religious philosophy. That's the kind of violence that our country can't tolerate, and it really should not be directed toward any individual, regardless of their race or ethnicity or their religion or gender. That's right, yes, and wow, that was a terrible, terrible, terrible day. Just awful. And as I'm sure you know, also, I want to remind all of our listeners to keep praying for the victims of the stabbings at Franklin Regional High School Uh right here in Pittsburgh. There are still four high school students in the hospital in critical condition, but you know... Hatred goes everywhere, doesn't it? No, it really does. I mean, I I think both the um, stabbing uh, in Pittsburgh at the high school and, of course, the hate crime incident that we talked about yesterday in Kansas City just really indicate how fragile life can be and how bigotry really dies hard, um, you know, Joyce. So uh, to me, this is really uh, quite um, an example of why we should be uh, grateful for the lives that we have, but that we also must strive to really build a better America, an America that's really as good as its ideals. Well, I agree with that. And, Wade, you are one person that has dedicated your life to doing just that. And how about if you start by telling our listeners why? Why? Like, what led you to becoming this person to dedicate his life to social justice? Well, thanks for asking, Joyce. You know, um, I'm a native Washingtonian, uh, which means I was born in our nation's capital. I turned 15, Joyce, uh, the year that the March on Washington I was held. That was, of course, 1963. Uh, that means I'm a, 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 a gentleman, a brother of a certain age. Uh, but the point uh, that I would emphasize is that the first quarter of my life, Joyce, was lived in the nation's capital of the world's uh, most representative democracy. And yet it was a nation's capital uh, which was strictly codified by a form of apartheid, of racial separation, that is hard uh, for many listeners who are not of a certain age to fully appreciate. 
um, the United States practiced a form of uh, apartheid that uh, was as dehumanizing and as psychically brutal as anything that was conducted in South Africa. Uh, some who lived through it may take a different view. But certainly, if you were on the wrong side of America's color line, I think that you would have a sense of what I'm talking about. It was a very dehumanizing experience. It was an experience that many of us literally chafed at having to bow to the social conventions of the time. And I had a difficult time really understanding the irrationality of racial segregation. I kept trying to figure out why individuals who were capable of doing the job, whatever the issue may be, or were decent moral individuals, why would we be singled out for maltreatment when, in fact, we were all citizens of this great country? And as I got older, it became increasingly difficult uh, for me both to understand the framework behind racial segregation in our country, and it was even more difficult for me to accept it. The March on Washington, for many Americans, it was a liberating experience. It showed that individuals could raise their voices in protest uh, to an unjust system, and that Americans would listen, that our voices would be heard. And I think having participated in that great historic march, having watched the dignity of the participants, having seen the level of racial interaction, which uh, for me at that time in history was a rare occurrence, uh, it really helped underscore why being an American uh, and you know, striving to really, uh, as I said earlier, build an America that's as good as its ideals uh, became a goal that I embraced. Uh, I went to college here in Washington at Howard University. I attended my law school uh, at uh, Rutgers in New Jersey. And when I came out of school in 1970, uh, the kind of work that I do today, uh, being a people's lawyer, a lawyer committed to changing the social structure that was so unjust to me and to so many millions of others, I became a goal. And I'm extremely proud and pleased to have been able to participate in helping to create the kind of change that I had hoped would see come in this country. And in looking back over those 50 years, looking back over where we began and where we are today, uh, I can't help but have a certain pride in the accomplishments that we as Americans have made. Now, having said that, I think, Joyce, it would be simply wrong to interpret my comments as complacency or satisfaction, because I feel that the injustice which still exists in our society, the kind of structural inequality that creates barriers to opportunity, that makes it hard for young people, depending upon where they're born, depending upon their zip code, to really anticipate getting the kind of opportunities in our society that many of us simply take for granted. And because we are struggling to perfect American democracy, to build the more perfect union, we still have a lot of work to do. Uh, there are many, many members of our society, including African Americans, Latinos, uh, some in the Asian American community, women, LGBT Americans, and persons with disabilities, 
uh, we know that life can be incredibly unequal, and not just in outcome, but in the opportunity presented to achieve the outcome we want. And until we are able to build that kind of America, none of us can be satisfied, none of us can be complacent, and the fire that really began for me in my youth continues to burn with the same intensity that it did 50 years ago. So uh, to an extent, Joyce, I really had no choice but to do what I do now, and it has brought me great satisfaction as well as frustration over the years, but I'm proud to do what I do. Well, and we're blessed to have you doing what you're doing, and I know what you mean uh, because I grew up, during that time also mm-hmm. because I recently just turned 60 years old mm-hmm. and, that, and I remember I remember very well you know what it was like for African Americans mm-hmm. and how they were treated and um, it's shameful it's just shameful and it still is today mm-hmm. with voting mm-hmm. you know with this new uh, changes mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. people want to vote and because of how things are being changed in their mm-hmm. district are being blocked out of voting, of schools where mm-hmm. in the inner city it's like shame of America. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, so we still have a way to go, just as people with disabilities have a way to go. Oh, so, there's no uh, question anyone, about it. Yeah, and anyone listening to the show, I, I'm not going to even wait until later on. Uh, wait, if someone is listening to the show and they want to support the organization. What could they do to make a financial Oh, you are fantastic. Well, first of all, I'd encourage them to go to our website, which is www.civilrights, that's all one word, C-I-V-I-L-R-I-G-H-T-S, dot O-R-G. That's www.civilrights.org. Go to our website. Take a look at the kind of work that we're doing. Familiarize yourself, I hope, with the kind of advocacy that the Leadership Conference supports. And I'll describe in a minute what the Leadership Conference is. But I hope that your listeners, Joyce, would be both inspired and encouraged by our work and would be willing to make a donation, and they can do it there. I'd also encourage them, and I hope they will, some of them I know are on social media. And if they're on Twitter... I hope they'll follow me on Twitter. Uh, My Twitter handle, Joyce, is easy to remember. It's Wade, the numeral four, and the last word, justice. It's Wade for justice. And I hope they'll follow me on Twitter. Was that number four? Yes, it is, the number four. That's exactly right. It's Wade, W-A-D-E, the number four, and then the word justice, J-U-S-T-I-C-E. And if you'll follow me on Twitter, I hope that, you know, you'll find it to be uh, an informative uh, experience and I share substantive information with my followers in the hope that we can help educate each other on what's important in bringing social justice to our country. So I think that you can certainly follow us there. Now, let me say, Joyce, you are fabulous to encourage your listeners, your many, many thousands of listeners to support the Leadership Conference. But... Let me back up for a minute and tell your listeners about who we are and what we do, and then hopefully give them a sense that we are speaking out on issues of concern to them and to others in this country. First of all, the Leadership Conference is the nation's leading civil and human rights coalition, Joyce. We uh, consist of approximately 225 national organizations working together to advance civil and human rights in this country. I'm a lawyer by training. I work as an advocate on behalf of the American people, 
and all people here under the Constitution. And I help by organizing the groups that support the Leadership Conference to try to speak as often as possible with one voice on issues that affect us. So groups like the NAACP, the National Council of La Raza, but organizations like the National Center on Independent Living, NICL, uh, are members, and uh, organizations like the American Association of People with Disabilities are also members of the Leadership Conference, Paralyzed Veterans of America. We have many disability rights organizations. Now, your listeners are members of a variety of different groups. Some may be Caucasian, some may be African American or Latino. Some are women. Uh, some are working. Some are not. Some are struggling to find their place uh, in the ladder of opportunity in our country, and some are in school and doing well. You belong to many different groups. But what we find is that one thing we share in common is wanting to see America do what we know America should do, follow its creed, follow its values, and have those values apply to all of us. So let me give you an example of some of the issues that we're working on at the Leadership Conference. First, we're working on a major voting rights bill called the Voting Rights Amendment Act of 2014. Uh, this is a bill introduced in both the House and the Senate. It is a bill that has bipartisan support, which means it has the support of both Democrats and Republicans. And truthfully, if you are practicing politics in the 21st century, if you're not working in a bipartisan way, if you're not making an effort to establish relationships across the aisle, no matter what your political affiliation is, if you're not working in coalition, you're not practicing politics to win in the 21st century. So this Voting Rights Act for us is a significant bill because it helps guarantee the right to vote for all Americans. Now, your listeners may well know that Americans get their constitutional rights, of course, from where? The Constitution. And the 15th Amendment of the Constitution is the amendment that guarantees, as a general matter, the right to vote. But we also know this country has a long history of trying to deny the vote to various groups for one reason or another. African Americans for many years, even at the end of the Civil War, were denied the right to vote uh, for over a hundred years until the passage of the Voting Rights Act of 1965. Depending upon where they lived, most African Americans, certainly in the South, had real difficulty in casting votes. We also know, and we know all too well, that it's not just a denial of the right to vote for racial reasons or ethnic reasons. There are also barriers. Uh, Joyce, that are put in place that make it harder for individuals to cast a vote and to do so privately. Persons with disabilities who may have physical disabilities themselves and are unable to go to the polls on election day without assistance should nonetheless have their rights respected, should be able to cast a vote privately if they so desire, should be able to seek assistance where needed, but in all other respects should be given the same dignity and respect that any other American voter is entitled to receive. That's often not the case. And so what we're doing today is making an effort to both overturn a Supreme Court decision which came down last year called Shelby County versus Holder, a case out of Alabama that put a hole in the Voting Rights Act. We're trying to repair that damage, and we're trying to lay a foundation to make sure that no matter who you are, no matter where you live, 
if you are a citizen of our country and entitled to vote, you should be able to vote. So it's a major effort that's underway, and we're doing it with the broad support of many different groups. And I'd say we have a chance, Joyce, a real chance of getting it enacted. We're also working on a big immigration reform bill, and I know your listeners have been following the debate taking place in Congress over whether to enact a new comprehensive immigration reform bill. Uh, for us, immigration reform, like voting rights, is a major civil and human rights issue. You know, in our country today, Joyce, and I know you, you, you're aware of this, we have over 10 million individuals who are in this country in what we call undocumented status. It means they entered the country without appropriate approval or papers in advance, but they've established lives for themselves and their families. Often they have children who are citizens of this country, and they are afraid. Uh, Joyce, they're afraid to report crimes in their community because they fear being deported. They're afraid to report abuse on the job because they fear being deported. And because of their sort of netherworld status, which is to say they are not here, quote, legally, and therefore are not permitted to work with authority or not permitted to vote because they're not citizens, those individuals are trapped outside of the protection of our society, and it makes it hard for them uh, to really engage in this country as participating members which is what we all want. So trying to get Congress to pass a comprehensive immigration reform bill is for us a very high priority. And I guess only two more issues and then open it up for questions that you may have. You mentioned education earlier. And Joyce, you couldn't be more right, and I'm so glad you raised it. You know, education is the foundation predicate for opportunity in our society. If we don't afford our young people, our children, the opportunity to have a high-quality education, a public education, then we are shortchanging them for the future. We're depriving them of meaningful opportunities to fulfill uh, their lives, to have life fulfillment, and we are shortchanging our own country because recognize that the young people that we're talking about today will be the workers of tomorrow. And demographics has proven in the past to be destiny. When we have a high growth rate of African Americans and Latino children, where we have increasing numbers of persons in our country uh, coming down with physical disabilities of some kind, trying to make sure that we maximize the opportunity of everyone to fulfill their potential by getting the kind of education they need and the kind of fulfilling job, the kind of employment they desire, that's a struggle. So when I think about people with disabilities, Joyce, I mean, I think about how tough it's been for persons with disabilities to gain meaningful uh, employment, to gain a leg up on the employment ladder. And persons with disabilities have almost the highest rate of unemployment of almost any group in our country. Now, that's not right. And so we have to develop educational policies that really give kids an opportunity to learn, and we have to be able to tie those policies to job training so that they can, when they're you know, able to do so, can fulfill themselves in a meaningful way. And then the only last issue that I'll mention now, and then again, happy to open it up for questions, your readers will find this of interest. We in the Leadership Conference are leading an effort along with the 
the U.S. International Disability Committee, known as USID, and the American Association of People with Disabilities, and the National Organization on Disabilities, collectively, along with NICL, I should mention, are working to have the Senate of the United States ratify a human rights treaty, Joyce, known as the Convention on the Rights of People with Disabilities. It is a wonderful statement of America's values in promoting the Americans with Disabilities Act, not just as domestic legislation, but as a global statement of policy in favor of the rights of people with disabilities. We think it's an incredibly important instrument for social change, and we are encouraging the Senate of the United States to ratify the treaty. Now, here's the history. America is one of a limited number of countries that have yet to ratify this human rights treaty, and it's known by its acronym CRPD, Convention on the Rights of People with Disabilities. CRPD is very important because it really states an aspirational goal for countries worldwide to consider principles embodied in the Americans with Disabilities Act as a foundation for any changes that the country is willing to consider to help make life better and more fair for people with disabilities. We think the treaty is important because we know that though America has a wonderful framework, both in civil and human rights, for disability protection through uh, the Americans with Disabilities Act, if you were to travel abroad, Joyce, you know as well as I do, there are inconsistent standards, depending upon the country that you visit, in helping to make life better uh, for uh, uh, our groups. So what we have seen, for example, is that in some countries there are no sort of physical assistance for people with disabilities, no curb cuts, no social support network to help people with disabilities escape uh, often the tedium and, and sometimes even the abuse of living in uh, centers in countries around the world, uh, sometimes denying uh, individuals the opportunity to get a job or to travel meaningfully uh, throughout the world uh, is made more difficult because of the failure to ratify this treaty. So we think it's important. One of the big leaders of this effort, are you ready for this, is former Senator Bob Dole, Robert well, Dole yes. of Kansas. Yes. You know, we love Bob Dole. Mm -hmm. Bob Dole, Joyce, are you ready, is 90 years old. Wow. He is 90 years old. His voice is still robust. He's, you know, he's, he's, he's obviously in somewhat of a frail condition, but he's a fighter. And no matter whether he is healthy and doing well and can use the phone or whether he's making phone calls from his hospital bed, Bob Dole has made the ratification of this human rights treaty, uh, CRPD, a major life goal. About a year ago, Bob Dole and his wife, Senator Liddy Dole, senator from North Carolina, came to Washington to promote the treaty. We needed five Senate votes in addition to the votes that we had already secured. We have uh, a vast majority of Democrats. We have some Republican support. But, you know, we need 67 Senate votes to ratify this treaty. This can't be ratified by a simple majority. You need two-thirds vote to ratify a treaty, so we need 67. And what that meant is that we needed some unlikely allies to support this treaty, and we thought that with Bob Dole's help, we would be able to do that relatively easily. 
what we discovered, much to our shock, is that members of the Senate who were personal friends of the Doles walked by them, greeted them warmly, and then voted against ratifying the treaty. It was one of the most shameful experiences I've witnessed in my 30 years as an advocate on the Hill. How could one deny what was obviously a moral gesture and a, an important substantive and symbolic gesture uh, to an individual like Bob Dole when he made clear how important this was, not just to him, but to the country? And so after that experience, uh, we all got together again and decided, look, we're, we're not going to accept this. We're going to have to push hard to make sure that the voices of persons with disabilities and their allies in the American civil rights movement can be heard and that we can have a real impact in changing votes in the Senate. And so that's what we've set out to do. And I'm pleased to report that Senator Bob Menendez who is the Democratic Chair of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, Senator Tom Harkin, the Democrat from Iowa who is retiring this year, but who has been such an extraordinary champion for civil and human rights during his tenure in Congress, uh, so much so, by the way, that we are honoring uh, Senator Harkin at the Leadership Conference annual dinner this year. Um, you know, he is also taking a leading effort. And because of the collaboration of so many different groups, from AARP to business organizations like IBM to veterans groups like Disability, uh, Disabled Veterans of America or PVA and others, we are getting the broad support of a coalition of groups that really want CRPD ratified. So just to give you an example, voting rights, immigration reform, comprehensive improvements to public education, and the ratification of the Disability Rights Treaty just give you a few examples of the kind of work we're doing. And I hope that as your listeners become more familiar with us, as you follow me on Twitter, as you look at our website and sign up for our weekly newsletter that we send electronically every Saturday, uh, we think that you will be a more well-informed activist and someone who is able to shape your own destiny by speaking to your members of Congress with substance and with a sense of knowing what you're talking about, which is such an important step in making change. Wade, you are just awesome. You know that? Oh, no. You are. And I just want uh, to say on behalf of all people with disabilities, I cannot thank you enough for your passion and support of us and CRPD. Wow. I was there. I was mm. there that day. I was there when they purposefully mm-hmm. walked past Senator Dole mm-hmm. and voted no. And it was shameful. It was a sad, sad, sad day. Now, we have a couple callers on the line. Um, I think we have Mark. Are you on the line? I am here. Hey, Mark, how are you? I am doing wonderful. How are you? Oh, wow. Is that Mark Perriello? That is Mark Perriello. Hey, yes. Mark, How are you, it's sir? great to have you on the call. How wonderful. Yeah, it is great to be here. Um, and uh, I'm calling uh, for a couple of reasons. Yeah. Um, but first and foremost is to really thank you for all the work you do on behalf of people with disabilities. You know, no, I have... Please. 
the distinct privilege of serving on the Leadership Conference uh, Board of Directors um, mm-hmm. through my role here at the American Association of People with Disabilities. And I know for a fact how hard you fight um, for people oh. with disabilities in your role, and I just wanted to express my gratitude to you for that. Well, Mark, thank you. And, and likewise, I just have such respect for you and AAPD for the great work you do both visibly and publicly here in Washington and behind the scenes. And just as an example that I really have to lift you up on so that Joyce and her listeners are aware of this, you know, last week, guys, um, the LBJ Library, the library dedicated to President Johnson in Austin, Texas, held a civil rights summit to commemorate the 50 years of extraordinary um, legacy that President Johnson left by signing the Civil Rights Act of 1964, his war on poverty and the great society that he helped launch, and of course next year, the 50th anniversary of the Voting Rights Act, all of which was attributed to LBJ. And in the run-up to this great event, four presidents, four sitting presidents uh, committed to attend. Jimmy Carter, uh, Bill Clinton, uh, George W. Bush, and the current president, uh, Barack Obama, all planned to come and to speak. And in looking at the agenda, I noticed that some of my friends in the disability community called me and said, look, we, we saw that persons with disabilities, issues involving uh, disability rights were not on the agenda. And and how should we handle that? What could we do? Uh, Mark helped lead the effort and did so in a quiet uh, but extremely effective way. And, and when the dust cleared, Joyce, I have to say, I was extremely pleased and impressed that the agenda for this great event had been modified to include a person with disabilities, not just in a token way, but in a meaningful way. And it really spoke to how organizations representing persons with disabilities are able to amplify the voices of that community in ways that make a huge difference. And so I just wanted to share that story with your listeners because I thought it was so important. Well, I have to say Mark Periello is a great civil rights leader mm-hmm. for all of us with disabilities, and mm-hmm. he is really, really uh, putting his heart and soul into this. And, Mark, I also can't thank you enough for everything you're doing. No problem. I'm going to call into this show more often. Uh, thank you both. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, wait, I do have a question for you, sure, actually, sure. and it goes along the lines of Joyce's question earlier, which is, uh-huh. Uh, the work that we do at AAPD, I feel like, is amplified and so much stronger because of the work we do with you at the Leadership Conference mm-hmm. on Civil and Human Rights. And I really want people to be able to get involved. And so I was wondering if you could share a little bit more about the dinner, um, which you mm-hmm. talked um, briefly about, um, and the fact that you're honoring Senator Harkin, which oh. I think is a, a great testament to how you do amplify yes. disability. Well, Mark, thank you for that, and I'm happy to talk about our dinner. Um, Ladies and gentlemen, the Leadership Conference sponsors an annual dinner. It's our major fundraiser for the year, uh, and it is named after the great Hubert H. Humphrey, a former vice president of our country under President Lyndon Johnson and also a distinguished senator from Minnesota. But Hubert Humphrey is more than that. Hubert Humphrey was really one of the great forces for social change who in 1948, 
at the Democratic Convention of that year, gave an incredible speech about the power of the civil rights movement coming into the sunlight of today and out of the shadows and really helping to lay a foundation for the social change that occurred in the 1950s, 60s, and beyond. And so naming our dinner after Hubert Humphrey is not only fitting, it's lifting up someone who made one of the most impactful uh, differences on the lives of all of us uh, that we can think of. This year, uh, at our dinner, we are honoring three individuals whom we believe exemplify the best of what the Leadership Conference stands for. One is Randy Weingarten, and Randy Weingarten is the president of the American Federation of Teachers. AFT, as it's known, is one of two teachers' unions in our country uh, that defend the interests of the public schools, public school students, teachers who work there, and the need to ensure that there is equity and quality in the public education experience that we all have. Families of persons with disabilities are familiar with the uh, uh, legislation known as the IDEA, uh, which is a bill that provides educational opportunities uh, for persons with disabilities. And we know it can be a real challenge uh, to make sure that systems are fair. But we have found that working and supporting of our teachers and the teachers' union is such an important piece of our overall struggle for a quality public education. And so we're very honored uh, to lift up Randy Weingarten as one of three honorees. Our second honoree is someone whose name may not be as familiar, but someone whom I hope we'll all get to know better and after our dinner to know what an extraordinary human rights leader and civil rights leader he is, and that is Eliseo Medina. He is the chair of civic participation and immigration initiatives at the Service Employees International Union. And recently, Eliseo led something called the Fast for Families, which was a significant fast on uh, the mall here in Washington in which individuals went for as many as 23 days without any solid food in an effort to encourage Congress to consider comprehensive immigration reform. And while Congress is still, of course, dithering with this issue, trying to decide how it will proceed, nonetheless, this fast that Eliseo and others led really helped to shine a moral light on why immigration reform is so important. And Eliseo really symbolizes those voiceless individuals, those 10 million or so, who I mentioned earlier are outside of the protection of our laws. And so we are honored to have Eliseo as the second of our three great honorees. And then the third is someone, Mark, that you mentioned, and I'm saving him because of his extraordinary record of accomplishment. And that is Senator Tom Harkin, a Democrat from Iowa, the man who chaired the uh, Labor and Human Resources Committee in the Senate, the person who was most responsible for helping to pass the Elementary and Secondary Education Act, helping to provide educational opportunity for uh, the nation as a whole, uh, but also his great work on behalf of persons with disabilities. It was Tom Harkin and his indefatigable a sense of energy and commitment that helped lead to the passage of the Americans with Disabilities Act. I can see it almost as if it were yesterday, Joyce, when uh, you mentioned Justin and Yoshiko Dart. 
Justin Dart was the father of the Americans with Disabilities Act. His widow, Yoshiko, continues to be a force, a great force for moral change, social change in our country on behalf of persons with disabilities. And I can see them today, almost today, talking with Tom Harkin, helping to strategize on how passing new civil rights protections for persons with disabilities was a moral imperative for our country. Tom Harkin is one of the most effective, most passionately committed, most dedicated legislators that we know, and someone who, because of his work on behalf of all persons, but certainly on behalf of persons with disabilities, deserves to be lifted up and saluted almost as if no other, almost, almost like no other, because he's really just that good. And so this year, the Leadership Conference has three great honorees uh, that we are presenting the Hubert H. Humphrey Civil and Human Rights Award to on May 15th of this year. And again, that's Tom Harkin, Democrat from Iowa, Randy Weingarten, President of the American Federation of Teachers, Eliseo Medina, Chair of Civic Participation and Immigration Initiatives of the Service Employees International Union. And I can't think of three better, more deserving, or certainly more committed activists for social change than these three. Oh, I so agree with you. And Mark, when are we? When is Senator Harkin retiring? So he is retiring this year, and so this will, um, you know, be his final year in the United States Senate. And so, um, just really uh, great timing um, to honor him for his work, um, which has been so tremendous over the years. So would he step down uh, in December or in November? When would that be? So he will serve his, through the end of his term, which will be the end of the year in December. Oh, I'll tell you what, what a loss to us. Well, he is, he's certainly going to be missed, Joyce, but, you know, he is so committed. I know. He'll still, I his know. voice will still be there, yeah. Yes. Well, Mark, thank you for calling in. I appreciate it so much. Yeah, always a pleasure. Thank you both. Great okay. talking to you, Mark. You Thank know you. what? I think we've got another caller on the line here. Yes. Uh, Dara, are you on? Yes, good afternoon. Hello, everyone. Hello, Wade Henderson. Hey, Dara. How, how are, are you? you? How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Hi, Joyce. I was just listening, and I wanted to um, give my um, thanks to Wade Henderson and his <laughs> wonderful, fabulous work with disability issues. Oh, and disability rights and always um, putting forward the um, intersection of civil rights and uh, disability rights and that there are people of color and people who are LGBT and people who are of um, higher socioeconomics as well as uh, different socioeconomics issues and concerns who have disabilities and you always bring that to the forefront and I just want to say thank you for that. Oh, thank you so much, Dara. You know, um, guys, I don't know if you know Dara Baldwin. Um, for some time, she worked at the National Council on Independent Living uh, with Kelly Buckland, who is, of course, the uh, director of uh, NICL. And we just found NICL and Dara and the work that they do of such importance to the entire Civil and Human Rights Coalition. And, and, you know, again, um, we think about disability rights issues as being these global issues like CRPD or national issues like the Americans with Disabilities Act, and that is true. But there are also issues that affect people with disabilities every day. 
that don't seem to get a lot of attention, but it's because of people like Dara and the organizations like Nickel that they do. You know, we worked with Dara here in Washington and Nickel to make sure that new parking regulations that were being developed by the city and that were being uh, adopted all across the town that would have uh, forced people with uh, disabilities who drove cars to pay additional money uh, for the so-called right to park on D.C. streets, but without any due consideration for the kind of impact that these changes were going to have on the community. You know, some of the spaces that were being created were such that a person who drove a van couldn't effectively use it. Or some of the um, spaces that were created were charging double the fee that would have been charged under the old system, even though people with disabilities have the highest level of unemployment in the city. You know, and it was because of the fact that the rights of persons with disabilities were largely ignored in the planning uh, process that was being contemplated. You know, people like um, Kelly Buckland and Dara challenged that system and helped organize the entire civil and human rights community to speak with one voice. And I want you to know, we stopped that process from going into effect with the help of very committed city council members. But that would never have happened unless Dara and Kelly and others had really helped educate these politicians and policymakers about the realities of what it meant to live with a physical disability in a way that would affect the parking regulations of the city. Now, that might seem to be a small issue for a lot of people, but you know as well as I do that if you are already faced with some challenges that impede your ability to get around, when transportation, public transportation is inadequate to respond uh, to your needs, the last thing you need are additional burdens being unfairly imposed by a city uh, regulatory system that seems indifferent to your circumstance. And I'm pleased that the disability community was able to raise its voice to prevent that from happening. Thanks, Dara. Wait, I well, want to say something here about Dara Baldwin. Mm-hmm. She is a true advocate. Mm-hmm. She is a passionate advocate, and I hope everyone listening knows that 24 by 7, Dara Baldwin is out there fighting for all of us. But here's the other most important thing. She loves the Pittsburgh Pirates. That <laughs> is the key. Okay, that's huge. Okay, there we go, Buck. Yes, that's mm-hmm. it. Yes, that's true. And my math, I'm from D.C., so my, I'm originally from Jersey. But, oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. I also wanted to say, um, Wade, that you you are correct. And, and the small fights, always people don't look at them, but they're always on the big picture. So I wanted to say thank you. And Mark Perriello, who was on earlier, also was part of that fight with the D.C. Yes, he was. Um, park. Yes, he was. So it's great. Um, and we're um, one big family, and I, I'm so blessed. And uh, thank you for all your comments, both of you mm-hmm. and Joyce, um, to be part of that. And I wanted um, your followers and your listeners to know, Joyce, I tweeted out some pictures of Wade um, memories that he's been helping out with CRPD since the beginning. So I um, tweeted them <laughs> under your tweet. I sent the replies out so you can see the pictures of Wade Henderson actually Ooh. working with us. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to get I'm the not... one where you did your speech at the nickel uh, rally, CRPD rally this summer, and I'll get that out to everyone as well. But thank you, uh, Wade, for everything. Thanks, Darren. Enjoy. I appreciate it. You're welcome. And Joyce, thank you, honey, for your wonderful comments. And um, same to you, my sister. I know you are 24-7. So. Wow. All right. Hey, Dara, lead on. 
All right, mm-hmm. lead on. Have a good show. I'm going to listen in. All right. You know what? Wait, i got to tell you something. Huh. I have a special request. Uh-huh. I'm going to have to have you on again, and I want to tell oh, you why. I, I sure hope you will. I would ask you any questions, and I still have people calling in. So what that tells me is uh, my my friends at uh, voiceamerica.com in Phoenix, when we see all these people calling in, we're just going to advertise this a couple months from now and have you back on because... You've done so much. I could see you're really resonating in the disability community. Oh, wow. Well, well, I'm honored. I'm honored. And I'd you love to what? do there, it, Joyce. I really would love to do it. I, I, yeah. There are 54 million Americans living with wow. disabilities. There are 3 million like me with epilepsy. And I'm going to wow. tell you what I'm going to do, Wade. I am going to be talking about you nonstop because I want people to support the leadership conference. Uh. I want people with disabilities to know how much you're doing. I mean, this is really wow. very important, and if I'm going to work to get that disability community behind you, Wade. Thank you so much. I mean, I'm, I'm just honored just to be on your show. I mean, I, I've, you know, obviously familiar with you and familiar with this program, but I think that your reach is so extensive, and uh, I just think it's important that we share the kind of work that, you know, Dara, that Mark, that other organizations um, within the disability community are doing. And it's so important. You know, I do a lot of work with the Disability Rights Education uh, and Defense Fund, uh, known as DREDIF. And DREDIF does uh, incredible work. And I just want to give a shout-out to a young lawyer uh, at DREDIF who is here in Washington. Um, she, her name is Rhonda Newhouse. And oh, Rhonda, I know. You know. She, too, is awesome, Rhonda. You know Rhonda? Oh, I, just, I know Rhonda yeah. very well. Yes, Rhonda I Rhonda is fantastic. Rhonda is just fantastic. And, you know, I just so appreciate her substance and her enthusiasm and the fact that, you know, she is somebody who is able to both bring um, her you know, substance and personal experiences to the table in ways that make a huge difference to us. So, no, I, I think the world around that, and I'm so glad you do as well. Yes, I do that. I do very much. Hey, Wade, once mm-hmm. again, for people that are trying to reach me here, if someone wants to uh, follow you on Twitter, it's Wade for Justice because That's right. I'm already Wade following with you. with the numeral four yeah. and then the word justice. And please Wade do because, yep, we uh, I'm we already like following that. you, Wade. Good. I got That's you down that. here. Wade <laughs> for Justice. Yep. And, and if they want to make a contribution to your organization. Once again, how do they do that? Go to the website of the Leadership Conference on Civil and Human Rights and the Leadership Conference Education Fund. And the website's the same. It's www.civilrights, all one word, .org. It's www.civilrights.org. And when is the dinner and where is it? It's May 15th. It's here in Washington, D.C., it's located at the Washington Hilton Hotel, and that's at 1919 Connecticut Avenue, Northwest. And obviously, it's accessible, and uh, it begins with a reception at 5.30 and dinner at 7. It's business attire, so you know one need not uh, uh, put on a tuxedo or anything like that to come. And as I said, we have just an incredible array of, of honorees this year, and 
Tom Harkin, I know, would be pleased and proud uh, to have your listeners, Joyce, join us for that great dinner. Yes, and it always is a great dinner. I was there when Dorothy Height was there. Oh, what a great honor to have been there! Yes, what a great Mm -hmm. honor. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, I, when I have you back on, Wade, we will talk about how minorities with disabilities have the highest unemployment, and we will talk about uh, in the public school system what is happening. uh, Which, as I said, it's like. Uh, what did Jonathan Kozal call it? Apartheid mm-hmm. in America. Shame yep. of the nation. Yep. You know, yep. we yep. will talk about that. And uh, what I want to do is, you know, when you're on, it's like a history lesson, Wade. Oh. Oh, no. It this teaches us how we have a, to yeah. all get behind you. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, why well, not? We only have a few minutes before we close the show. As you can see, that's why I have oh, to yeah. have you back on. Oh, yeah. But, um, what, what message would you like to leave with our listeners, Wade? You know, um, I guess here's what I would say. Um, we were founded by um, great leaders, but among them was Roy Wilkins, who was the founder of the first African-American labor union in this country called the Brotherhood of Sleeping Car Porters. It was Roy Wilkins who helped organize the very first march on Washington when President Roosevelt was in the office in 1942, And he attempted, meaning Roy Wilkins, to encourage the federal government to hire more African Americans who were then victims of racial discrimination. And Mr. Wilkins had, uh, I'm sorry, Mr. A. Philip Randolph, I apologize, uh, had a wonderful saying that is very appropriate, I think, Joyce, to your listeners, which is very simple. There are no free seats at the table of life. You know, you get what you can take, and you keep what you can hold. And when it comes to political power, you certainly can't take it, and you certainly can't hold it unless you're organized. We've got to get organized. We have to vote. We have to make every effort to make sure that our voices are heard in the corridors of power here on Capitol Hill and and in the voting booth. And we have to make it clear that persons with disabilities are also part of the American fabric. They have to be respected, they have to be treated with dignity, and their views have to be taken into account when public policies that affect us all are being developed. Not after the fact, but while the policies are being developed. And the more I meet with representatives of uh, organizations representing persons with disabilities, the more confident I am, Joyce, that this country will eventually achieve the goal that we want for all of us, and that is the kind of America in which uh, our ideals and our practices are like one again. And, you know, well, we are in the best position to do what we have to do. So, really, it's a great honor, Joyce, being here. I'm oh, so Wade, appreciative. Wade Henderson, it has been an honor to have you on the mm. show. Um, and we are following you, and we are putting information out there right now about okay. you and your group. But uh, because of the, what was that quote? There are no free seats at the there table of life. There are no free seats at the table of life. You get what right. you take, and you keep what you can hold. Yeah, and well, then it, I've got to end. We always end with a quote yep. uh, from someone that has changed lives, and that quote today is Martin Luther King, Jr., mm. who said, Life's most persistent and urgent question is, what are you doing for others? 
And isn't that what this is all about? Mm-hmm. We thank you so much for being with us. Thank you to all of our listeners. Thank you to our, and listen to those that didn't get to talk to Wade. I'll be having him back on. But right now, follow him on Twitter, Wade number four justice. This Thank you. is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. Talk to you all next week. Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Internet Leader and Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 